This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I don't like to brag, but I am very good at it. So, I just wanted to mention that. I am pretty much the Tom Brady of absentmindedly eating pistachios while staring out my kitchen window into the middle distance. Not only in that I am arguably the best to have ever done it, but also in that I keep saying I'm going to quit doing it, and people would really like me to quit doing it, but I will never quit doing it until it destroys my body and I am physically incapable of doing it anymore. But you didn't tune into this show to hear me talk about how great I am at absentmindedly eating pistachios while staring out my kitchen window into the middle distance. Probably. And if you did, well, I'd say you've gotten your money's worth. So let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's... Uh, do this. A liquor atomizer can produce a fine schnapps mist. A different sort of booze machine produced the synopsis. Synopsis. Defenders, number 116. February, 1983. Two by two. Written by J.M. DeMatteis. Drawed by Don Perlin. Inked by, quote, Diverse Hands, unquote. Letterded by Janice Chiang, colored by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. Valkyrie. Hellcat. Gargoyle. Beast. Son of Satan. Namor the Submariner. The Vision. Scarlet Witch. And... Over Mindy. Previously in the Defenders. It's been an eventful, indeterminate amount of comic book time for our titular non-team. Clea, Doctor Strange's long-suffering disciple-slash-girlfriend, a not-at-all-creepy combination, finally got tired of Steve's shit and moved out. Hooray! Valkyrie died. Oh no! But got better. Hooray! Nighthawk, a.k.a. Kyle Richmond, died, and it looked like he was going to get better, but then he didn't. Hellcat reunited with her long-lost deadbeat dad and was relieved to learn that he was not the literal devil. Hooray! While Patsy was off on her dad quest, the rest of the gang journeyed to Earth-S, the alternate universe home of a Halloween store version of the Justice League named the Squadron Supreme. While they were there, they teamed up with the Squadron, the Vision, Scarlet Witch, the Silver Surfer, Alternate Universe Nighthawk who thought he was regular Universe Nighthawk, and the disembodied minds of half a dozen dead psychics including Kyle's ex-girlfriend Mindy to stop a pair of nigh-omnipotent nihilists from destroying the universe. 
One of the nihilists in question was Overmind, a beefy bearded space weirdo whose brain was filled with millions of vengeful alien ghosts. After a long complicated mental battle, the defenders and their allies emerged victorious. Hooray! The defeated Overmind's body was now an empty husk, so Mindy and the dead psychics hermit-crabbed their way into it and made themselves at home, resulting in a new hero that I call Overmindy. Which works better as a pun written down than it does spoken aloud, but what are you gonna do? The defenders and Overmindy teleported back to the Sanctum Sanctimonious. Namor, Valkyrie, Beast, and Gargoyle made a brief pit stop in a Dr. Seuss slash Wizard of Oz slash PBS pastiche before rejoining their companions. Gadzooks! How will Steve deal with the fact that Clea left him? How will Patsy celebrate the fact that her dad is not the devil? And after defeating two existential threats to the entire multiverse, what new horrifying threat will our heroes encounter in this issue? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... He watches Flame Ghost fuck on the mystical internet. She gets yelled at by a guy whose dad is the devil. And... They are forced to face the most terrifying foes of all. Their feelings. Ugh. Doctor Strange stares moodily into his mystical brazier and watches the images that it shows him. He's like, I am so bummed out that Clea left me that even watching these tiny little flame ghosts get their freak on does little to lift my spirits. Overmindy's hulking frame suddenly fills the doorway. They're like, Hey, Steve, I couldn't help overhearing you think about how bummed out you are. Want some company? Steve is like, Sigh, why not? These nasty flame ghosts aren't cheering me up much. They are nasty, though. Being single is the worst. Overmindy is like, Well, if, if it, it makes you feel better, dating sucks too. Observe! Overmindy waves their hand over Steve's brazier, and the images of flame ghost porn are replaced by a scene that took place in the brownstone apartment that several of the defenders call their home. Overmindy is like, This is what your pals were up to yesterday afternoon. Silver Surfer, Hulk, and Steve had all just respectively fucked off to be alone, but the rest of the gang was hanging out in the living room, as were Beast's girlfriend Vera and Hellcat's long-suffering housekeeper, Dolly Donahue. The Vision was like, Welp, me and Wanda are going to head back to our home in suburban New Jersey. But first, we are going to demonstrate our commitment to each other by making out in front of you for a minute. So Vision and Scarlet Witch made out in the middle of the room for a while, then left. Once they were gone, Dolly said to nobody in particular, Wow, that Wanda sure is pretty. Gargoyle was like, well, She sure is, but hey, I bet back before you got old, you used to be pretty too. Oh, Ike, you smooth talker, you. For some reason, Dolly actually seemed flattered by this decidedly backhanded compliment and blushed. Beast was like, Hey, do you guys want to keep partying and go get some Chinese food or something? But Vera was like, Hey, fuck that. We haven't spent any time alone together in weeks. 
there is definitely some stuff we need to talk about. Beast was like, oh, okay, well, I guess we can do that. But first, let me just make it perfectly clear to everyone that I would rather hang out with my friends than you. Everybody got that? Good. Guys, I'll be back here just as soon as I can get away from my nagging girlfriend here. Okay, honey, let's go. For some unfathomable reason, Vera seems less than thrilled with Hank's departing speech, but they left together to share some quality time. Valkyrie turned to Namor and was like, Hey. Namor was like, Oh, uh, hey. Val was like, So, you, uh, heading back to Atlantis? Namor was like, Yeah. Val was like, So, uh, you want some company for the trip? Namor was like, Yeah, I do. Let's get out of here. They headed outside. I guess sometime during the course of the last few issues, Val had Steve rig up a system where her flying horse Aragorn is invisible and shielded and maybe hanging around in another dimension or something until she summons him. Which kind of explains how she can keep a flying horse and still live in an apartment in the city. Sort of. Anyway, Val summoned Aragorn, and she and Namor hopped on his back and flew away. As they were taking off, a taxi pulled up in front of the building. As the driver gawked at the flying horse and its strange riders, Patsy hopped out of the cab and paid her fare. She headed inside and greeted Dolly, Gargoyle, and Son of Satan. Dolly and Ike gave Patsy a big hug. Damon looked at her and was like, So, now that you're sure you're not my sister... Hey. Back in the present, in Steve's sanctum, Overmindy is like, You can totally tell that he likes her. I mean, like likes her. Steve is like, Yes, I got that. Now, can we stop spying on my friends, please? The brazier is not a toy. It should be used for serious magical research or incendiary miniature pornography only. Overmindy is like, Is something wrong? Steve is like, Look, I'm as surprised as anyone about this, but it turns out I'm not comfortable invading my non-teammates' privacy like this. Besides, I thought you were trying to make me feel better about being single. All you've done is show me four sets of people who want to bone each other. And none of them are even tiny and on fire. Overmindy is like, Oh, they're not all about to bone. Check this out. The image in the brazier shifts slightly and starts showing events from slightly later on that day. Beast and Vera were walking around the city. Beast was stuffing his face and cracking jokes, but Vera was clearly annoyed with him and was like, Can you please be serious for a minute? Beast was like, Um, no? Some fans approached the blue-furred former Avenger, and he spent a few minutes flirting with them and signing autographs before he looked up and saw that Vera was mean-mugging him something fierce. Then she started crying and walked away. Beast made a hasty excuse to his adoring public and caught up with his fleeing girlfriend. He was like, Hey, I'm sorry about that. I know I can be a dick sometimes, but I don't mean to be. When I was younger, people rejected me because I was a mutant, so to protect my feelings, I put up shields. I used to hide behind my intellect, but now I hide behind being a goofball. 
I've gotten so used to putting on an act that I'm not sure who the real me is anymore. Fear was moved by Hank's vulnerability. She was like, well, maybe we can figure out who you are together. She went in for a smooch. Hank kissed her, but as he did so, he thought to himself, yeah, I don't know about that. The scene in the brazier shifts again. It now shows Namor and Val, happily riding Aragorn over the sea as they flew towards Atlantis. Namor was like, This is nice. So, do you want to frolic in the water? Val was like, Hell yes, I want to frolic. Namor dove in. Val changed into a slip, let her hair down, and dove in after him. They splashed and frolicked and made out for a minute. Then Namor broke off and was like, No! He flew off and sat on a nearby rock to brood. Val swam after him and was like, What gives? Namor was like, What gives is that an indeterminate but seemingly significant amount of comic book time ago, my fiancé died. Ever since then, I decided to dedicate my life to brooding darkly and to a lesser, far lesser extent, governing my undersea kingdom. Boning down would only distract me from that. I'm going home now. I'm flattered by your interest, but I will never do makeouts again! After making his little speech, the sulky prince of Abslantis swam away. Val watched him swim off and said to herself, Yeah, we'll see about that. The scene depicted in the brazier shifts again. Patsy and Damon were strolling around New York. Patsy was like, So it was really life-changing for me to reconnect with my dad, and I learned a lot about myself. It was a super important step in my... Damon cut her off and was like, Okay, but look, shut up a minute. I want to talk about my feelings. Patsy was like, Oh, okay, in just a minute. First, I really want to get us some pastries from this bakery. She went into the bakery. Damon grabbed her wrist and was like, No, we are going to talk now. The fiendishly fathered feelings haver summoned a burst of hellfire, which cast off his human disguise, which is to say shirt, and dragged Patsy out of the bakery. He used his magic pitchfork to drag them up into the air so that they could be alone. Patsy was like, well, fuck this. She wrenched herself free from Damon's grasp and flipped acrobatically to a nearby rooftop. Damon was like, well, there's no need to be so dramatic. Can't a guy set his shirt on fire in a bakery and drag you into the air against your will without you making a big deal about it? I just wanted to talk. Women. Patsy was like, Yeah, I know. Sorry. I guess I've just been avoiding being alone with you. Damon was like, Why? Gee, I don't know. Maybe because you keep interrupting her to yell about your feelings and light your clothes on fire? Patsy was like, Well, the last time we saw each other, you said you loved me. Then you went to go live with your dad in hell, and at the time I thought maybe I was your sister. It turns out I'm not, which I'm pretty stoked about, but still, it's a lot. Like I was trying to tell you before, reconnecting with my dad was a big deal for me, and I've got a lot of... Wait, why are you crying? Damon, who was indeed crying, was like, Because it's a way to recenter this conversation on me and my needs. See, I love you, and there are many things I need you to do for me. Patsy was like, but I don't know if I can be in a relationship with you right now. When he heard this, Damon freaked the fuck out. 
He pushed Patsy to the ground and was like, but I am a powerful white man who has feelings. The thought that you might reject me is intolerable. With that, the devil-dadded douchebag flew off into the sky, leaving a tearful Patsy in his wake. The image fades back into the flames of the brazier. Steve is like, Okay, I get it. Love stinks and I'm better off being alone. Can we stop spying on my friends now? It's kind of starting to creep me out. Overmindy is like, No, not yet. Check this out. They summon one final scene on the brazier. It shows Gargoyle and Dolly making some cookies later that evening. Dolly was like, I don't think I like Patsy hanging out with that guy with the giant pentagram tattooed on his chest, who's always carrying a pitchfork and wearing a Dracula cape. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about him that just seems untrustworthy. Isaac was like, does my appearance make you distrust me? Dolly was like, No, I think you're a nice, sweet man. Isaac was like, Well, in that case, hey. Dolly was like, Hey. They held hands, which I guess the comic would like us to believe is old for making out. Isaac was like, It's nice to be old, like us. We get that physical love isn't as important as companionship. Dolly was like, um, yeah, sure. Back in the sanctum, Overmindy's voyeurism has the desired effect. Steve is finally moved and is like, I get it. Love is nice. It's just that young people are dumb and bad at it. Yeah, Steve, young people like Namor and Valkyrie who are like collectively, what, 1100 years old? Regardless, Steve is moved. He and Overmindy hold hands and fly over to the apartment that Patsy, Val, Isaac, Hank, and Dolly share. As they fly, he makes a big old mystical fireworks display. The gang heads out onto the balcony to watch the show and is surprised when Steve and Overmindy appear amongst them, smiling in the middle of an explosion of colored lights. Beast is like, what's all this about? Steve is like, love. The rest of the gang is like, aw, wait. You guys weren't by any chance using your respective mystical and psychic powers to spy on us, were you? Because that would be really unethical and super creepy. Steve is like, even if it was for love? The gang is like, Yes, that would actually make it creepier. Steve is like, then no, that's not what we were doing. The end. And joining me once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going... Okay, I am on the tail end of feeling not well, and so mm. it's nice to feel more well than less. I am glad to hear you are on the road to recovery. I'm sorry you were feeling poopy. It's okay. It was more like a, a cold than a gastritis thing, but... Oh, I see, because, yeah, because uh, I used the P word there. <laughs> is there a P word? I guess there probably is. 
Um, it's not poopy. Depends who you talk to. That's fair. Yeah, so because you are, are feeling unwell, unfortunately, we are still recording remotely this week. But uh, I had wanted to share this with you. I went to our post office box and uh, Rebecca J from Washington sent us this package. Ooh. For all of you uh, out there in, in listening land, we are on a video call so I can see what Hub's doing. And he is uh, playing with a knife badly using a classy jackknife to open a box. You know, it's just good radio. Yep. Oh, listen to that. That's like a what's the thing called when people like the way stuff sounds? ASMR. Yeah. Oh, so I'll have to talk very quietly like this. Mm, let's see what's in this box. Okay, I'm rubbing your head. There is a very <laughs> nice note that I will read to Corey later. Yeah, it's very, very nice. Aw. Hey, oh, and there's some drink recipes in here. What? Because what we have been sent is... Oh, man. Ooh, I like the looks of that. It is an Armagnac cask-finished bourbon. Whoa. It is Burrow bourbon? I don't know this one. That's terribly exciting. That is very exciting. Wow. I cannot wait to get to the comic book room and have a taste of that with you. Bizarrely, this is not the only bottle of spirits that we have been gifted this week. We had a friend of the show and host of the Power Pack podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, Rick Heineken, dropped us off a bottle of very nice sipping rum, which is a thing that I had been completely unfamiliar with, the idea that one could sip a rum. But uh, I sipped, and I was glad that I had. Oh my gosh. We have the best friends of the show. We really do. Our cup literally runneth over. Well. I mean, mine does. Get to sipping. I will. Oh, wow. You can hear the cork sound and everything. Oh, man. Stupid cold preventing me from being there and enjoying all of that sipping goodness. Soon. Oh, man. This is actually from the distillery that Rebecca works at. Oh. It is a queer woman-owned distillery that's local to D.C. So, you know, we have talked about uh, people who work at distilleries giving us their things. And uh, people are wrong. You don't have to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I, was, I was under the impression you edited out most of, most of those things that I said about people sending us booze. So I'm glad you left a, a couple of them in. I have edited out probably, I would say, about 70% of your pleas for alcohol, but, you know, some still made it in. Wow. Okay, 30%'s enough. Good to know. Oh, man, that is delicious. Wow. Burrow bourbon is some good shit, man. Oh, I'll be by in two weeks to confirm that. Excellent. Well, now that I'm properly boozed up, you want to talk about this comic book? Yeah, let's do it. Corey, what did you think of this comic? I am of a split opinion. On one hand, I I think like you love the style of comics where you get a view into kind of the private everyday or emotional lives of the titular characters. Mm-hmm. And they're not out just having giant fight scenes. Like that was really fun and refreshing to see that unfold in here. I don't know though, whoever this diverse hands artist is, <laughs> it fell a little bit flat for me in terms of the inks 
Yeah, there is some wildly inconsistent art happening in this book. In places, it is very, very good. The inks are credited to diverse hands. It is Don Perlin pencils throughout. As I said, there are some places where it's very good, and I was actually excited to recognize a couple of the art styles in here. I think one of those diverse hands, or I guess probably two of those diverse hands, belong to Mike Mignola, and I believe this is his first published comic book work, inking a few pages in this, and he has a very recognizable style. You can see it on the second page, and it really seems as though his style was there from the get-go of his art career which is nice to see. Other than that, the very first page, I believe, is probably Steve Mitchell. He's the guy who did the cover, and the first page does seem to have a bit of that style, and it is kind of clunky, and there are a lot of pages in there that are kind of clunky. Yeah, that's true. Although, in defense of the first page, you know, you see Steve with his arms crossed, pensively staring at his little flame ghost. Uh Uh-huh. And you just know this is going to be a weird one because over Mindy's shadow is behind him and he's just pensively watching ostensibly porn. Yeah, it's funny. It's one of those where when we see these things like the flame ghosts pop up again, the issue opens with Steve watching his nasty little flame ghosts get it on inside of a brazier as he stares moodily at them. And that is one of those things that I know it popped up in the comic books before, but It's something that we've talked about so much that I started to think, well, maybe we invented that. That's probably not something he really does. And seeing it pop up again was very validating, I must say. Yeah, it's to the point, just like you pointed out, where I think half of the stuff that I think about both this title and the Titans is stuff that we've kind of joked about or made up on the show. Right. So, yeah, I was like, oh, look at that. It kind of reminds me of there's a very specific feeling I have that is associated with knowing someone a long time ago and really, really strongly disliking them. And then over the years, kind of in your mind being like, they're probably not that bad. You know, maybe that was me back then and who I was at the time was as much to blame for that. And then you run into them again with someone else and you have to like you're like, okay, and you introduce that person. I'm trying to keep this as vague as possible, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but the person you introduce them to after you leave is like, oh, man, that person sucked. And it's that special kind of validation where it's just like, yes, thank you. I knew I wasn't making that up. Yeah. Have you ever had something like that happen? Not so much like the person that you disliked from a long time ago, but like the person that I immediately dislike. I've had that same sort of thing where like I try not to influence people ahead of time Mm -hmm. and then when they come back and they're just like whoa what a jerk same deal right you're just like yes it's like oh thank god but it is like that with the flame ghost it's like was that something that we made up steve's probably not really like that and then he'll do something every now and again where it's like no i'm exaggerating slightly but i am picking up on shit that is actually there Mm mm-hmm So I was happy to see the flame ghosts. I was happy to see Mike Mignola's art on the few pages where I could tell that it was definitely his inks that were contributing. But yes, as you said, the art in this issue is wildly inconsistent and in some places kind of difficult to get by. Mm -hmm. This title, I think I've brought it up before, but it really does drive home the point of how incredibly important the inker's job is. 
just having so many different hands be a part of it over the past year and a half that we've covered this title with the same penciler, it really does show what a big contribution an inker does make to a comic book. So that's kind of nice to see. Yeah. Yeah. You can't exaggerate that importance. Overall, like you, I did really like the issue with a couple of fairly significant caveats. There's a lot going on. I think in its own way, this is almost weirder for a Defenders comic book than the last issue, which took place in the Dr. Seuss land. That story was definitely very odd, but it was our heroes find themselves in a strange universe and have to go on a quest to get a magical item. That's basic superhero comic shit. The details were definitely tweaked in a way that made it a more interesting story and was overtly very weird. But this is a straight up romance comic. It tells five different stories of characters having romantic interludes, including maybe Steve and Overmindy. It was at least, I think, implying that towards the end, which I frankly really appreciated. I, I didn't really see that as romantic so much as more of like, you know, a, a deep emotional connection. Maybe that's what it is. But it, either way, there was a closeness and a vulnerability to their interactions that you're not used to seeing and you're especially not used to seeing from Steve. And the fact that there is that bond and you see them like as they are flying towards the end, his cloak of levitation spreading wide behind him, the overmind's hand tight in his grasp. And they're holding hands as they fly around. That is not something we generally see Steve do with other characters. He can levitate them. He can teleport them places. But no, he's doing the like side by side hand holding Superman and Lois Lane from the first Superman movie with Overmind. And I appreciated it. That is so funny. You and I have such a different read on that because... So the panel that sets that one up, he's casting a little spell to open that cool circular window that's at the top of his brownstone. Mm -hmm. And the way I read that and then the following panel was, he didn't tell Overmind at all what was about to happen. It's just (laughs) in his own head. He was like, oh, we'll go fly together. This will be fun. And he opens the window and just grabs Overmind's wrist and yanks him out there. Because if you look at it, Overmind's face looks kind of like, what the fuck is going on? That's fair. I think partly what I was reading into it is just the general tone of this comic book is Steve is bummed out because he misses Clea, who, once again, speaking of things that are validating our impressions of Steve, he again describes as my disciple, my lover, but definitely putting disciple first, as always, has abandoned him. And so he's bummed out. Over Mindy comes in and is just like, well, you know, it sucks to date people, too. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed their interaction. Overmindy is like the perfect foil to like, if I'm ever, you like, when you're bummed out, you don't want somebody to necessarily come in and be like, hey, you know what would help? Just smile. (laughs) Right? Like you want somebody to be like, yeah, this does suck. Fuck all that. And that's pretty much what Overmindy does. Kind of. I mean, they do that, but it is coupled with. Now, let's all watch your friends make out with each other from afar. And to his credit, Steve does offer some perfunctory objections to that throughout the issue. Like, hey, well, should we be spying on our friends while they kiss and have very private quarrels with one another? And Mindy's like, no, 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 it's chill. But what I was getting at was that 
Overmindy does get Steve to the point where he's like, all right, all right, you've made a good point. Relationships suck. Dating sucks. I guess it is better to be alone. And then Overmindy's like, well, no. That's that's only when... I never expected Gargoyle to make me think of the Lauren Hill song, That Thing. (laughs) But like... I'm just imagining him sitting, you know, that's basically what he says, right? He's like, hey, once you're old and sex is out of the picture, relationships are awesome. And Steve's like, yay. (laughs) No? Yeah. And then he and over Mindy hold hands and fly around the city and then make fireworks appear in the air. Yeah. The Fireworks of platonic love. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that is often what you say. When people say, like, were there fireworks? They mean platonic love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, we agreed so hard. I saw fireworks. I did one time. I think you were there at the beginning of the night. But uh, one night for the 4th of July, I ended up going on kind of a date with a girl and wandering around. And we, you know, we, I was in my 20s. We maybe took some psychedelic substance of some sort and we actually had our first kiss and then looked up and the fireworks had just started going off and i remember thinking even then just being like oh this is too much this this is not sustainable this this relationship has nowhere to go but down and Uh, it really never did get started much after that but it was just like oh this is this can only go downhill from here what a funny thought did you share that with her not vocally, but, uh... <laughs> so, like I talked about, this issue is mostly just Steve and Overmindy spying on a bunch of different couples. So, why don't we just talk about the different couples that he spies on? Sure. First one, this is kind of a gimme. We get Vision and the Scarlet Witch. And they're only in a couple of panels. They are basically just going home. But before they go home, they're like, hey, everybody, we're just going to make out in front of you for a second as a symbol of our commitment to suburbia. And then they go home. Mm -hmm. It made me wonder if that was the reason they were included in the last story arc, because I was wondering about that the whole time. It seemed like neither of their personalities or power sets were made specific use of for the four issues or so that they were hanging around. And I especially thought the last issue, the reason for it would be that they would plug Vision into the Tin Man role in the Wizard of Oz portion of the pastiche that we got. But they didn't do that. So I'm wondering if maybe the whole reason they were in this comic book was to serve as a model of a happy couple, because there frankly have not been a ton of those in the Marvel Universe. and. I think at the time, at least, that was maybe their primary role. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, because they do just sort of show up and don't do anything really too differently than anybody else. And they are, I think, the only couple in this set of stories about couples who kind of comes out of it okay. Well, with with the exception of, let's move on to talk about uh, Gargoyle and Dolly Donahue, who do come out of it okay for now. I have a lot of misgivings about this relationship. First of all, I think that if you drop a house on someone, you should probably tell them that before you start dating them. That it was you who dropped the house. Yeah. 
because I'm pretty sure Dolly still doesn't know that. And it seems like that might be a stumbling block later down the line. Oh, boy. Had you forgotten about that? Yeah, I had. And see, this is the problem. Every time Garky does something that kind of makes me like him, when you examine it a little bit more, you can tell he's got one of those personalities where, like, he'll just wave off really bad shit. Like, oh, that was was a while ago. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. So that's one thing that is maybe not great about this relationship, which I, you know, I'm still kind of rooting for it. But he also does start off with what is maybe the worst pickup line I can imagine. I wonder if he's trying to do that like negging thing where like you insult somebody to hit on them. That never made a ton of sense to me. But he starts with the pickup line. Hey, I bet when you were younger, you used to be really pretty. Well, (laughs) that is not a good line. I agree with you. You're taking it a little bit out of context. But no, it's your point is. Not that much. Dolly says like, oh, that woman is so pretty. And Gargoyle says, yeah, she sure is. But I bet when you were younger, you were pretty, too. <laughs> he says you were even lovelier at her age. Which, yeah. Yeah. I know. I had the same read on it. I'm just giving the full context. So we know he's not just straight up like, well, I got these YouTube videos about how to pick up women from a man with a leather fedora and a goatee. <laughs> Apparently, I'm supposed to put a feather in this cap. And then tell her she's old. Then I do a magic trick and spill a drink on her, and she's mine. Right. He also goes on to say, Well, when you get to be our age, it's just nice to have someone to talk to. I'm pretty sure he's at least a couple decades older than she is. Like, he's about 80 years old, I think. We had worked out the math at one point. And I'm pretty sure that is not the case with Dolly. I'm pretty sure Dolly is in her maybe 60s and possibly even younger than that, because depictions of age in the 80s are fucking wild. I was looking into the Golden Girls. Do you know how old the characters on the Golden Girls were supposed to be in the first season? No, but I don't know. 60, 70. Dorothy was supposed to be 55. Rose was, I think, 52. Blanche was 47. Wait a minute. On the show she was? Yes. Her character, not the actress. Oh. (laughs) I know. I'm a golden girl. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Thank God it's the... (laughs) Thank God it's the slutty one. (laughs) Well, life is made to be lived. That's true. But so I'm, I'm just saying, like, Dolly is probably in her mid 50s at this point, And an 80 year old man is telling her, like, well, when you get to be our age. No, whoa, 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 buddy. So I, I, I mean, I guess it's working. I, I think they have a cute relationship. I kind of like it. But there are also aspects of it that are just like, well, that's not great. Mm. Yeah. And it's only a matter of time till Gargoyle does something weird and fucks it up. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm supposed to be optimistic, but it's, it's, I don't like the guy at his core. We were introduced to him, and it's never really been addressed that he was perfectly willing to sacrifice Patsy's soul to hell for economic upliftment for his town. And now everyone's treating him like a favorite uncle. I know he's been through some shit with them, but he's never really addressed the fact that he did that other than to be like, well, it didn't work. Yeah, I, I know there's this redemption arc thing where 
because he is like emotionally vulnerable, we're supposed to yeah, and he's a vuncular, have have these positive feelings to him, like, oh that was in the past and we need to get past this creepy appearance that he has. That's punishment enough for his evil deeds earlier. It's like, but he did the evil deeds. He, and he yes, people can change, but like that's a pretty big one. Yeah, and he hasn't like I mean he's fighting alongside the defenders, I guess as an attempt to atone for what he did, but he hasn't really specifically addressed that much what he did and why he feels bad about it or really recognized that that was a super fucked up thing to do you know i guess he just figures he has to wear that weird bondage tunic so (laughs) fair is fair i suppose let's move on to another couple who do you want to talk about next uh let's talk about beast and vera okay what did you think of their interactions? I think it was a little kind of problematic in, in like this 80s way of like, I'm a girl, so I'm going to cry and I'm the dude, so I'm going to tell you what's what. That said, I thought the way that he went through explaining his personality was, was pretty vulnerable. And I, I thought that, that that was cool. Like, she's like, you know, why do you get to fucking joke around all the time, man? Like, can't we have a serious conversation once in a while? And he's like, this is the facade that I need to keep from totally losing my shit because I'm a blue hairy dude. Yeah, I appreciated the character building for the beast in their interactions. Like you, I feel like it's unfortunate that really none of the women in this issue have their feelings discussed or addressed in any way. It really is all about how the male characters what they need from a relationship and the female characters needs are never really addressed at all. Yeah. The closest we get to that and we'll, we'll talk about it later is, is Patsy knowing what she doesn't need a little bit, a little bit, but yeah, yeah we, we can get to that later. I also did really appreciate though, the beast making explicit the subtext of the character that, you know, I have to act the way that I act because I'm going to be gawked at regardless it can at least be on my terms. Like people are going to stare at me and treat me like a freak. It can be because of the way I look, or it can be because of my intellect, or it can be because of what a goofball I am. And I would rather it be because of what a goofball I am. And I can have my ego stroked and my need for attention and validation from strangers be fed by that. I appreciated that. I also appreciated the ambiguity with the relationship that it is. He tells her all that and they kiss and she takes it as a sign that things are going to be okay. But he's not sure it is. Yeah. And that was also a little bit of a weird thing where at the end, you know, he's like, basically like, you know, sometimes I don't even know who I am. Right. And she's like, I'll help you figure that out if you let me. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, like, that's like a, a sweet sort of bonding thing but on the other hand it's also like your partner telling you that they're not okay with who you are yeah i hadn't really seen it that way and then they kiss and he's thinking that in his head maybe like huh jeez i just <laughs> told her all this stuff and she told me that i needed to figure my shit out and she'd help me well he does need to figure his shit out though and none of it really does get down to the the real crux of the matter in their relationship i think which is the fact that he keeps fucking ignoring her 
And that part is never addressed. That's what she's upset about and has been upset about for many issues. Like he never wants to be alone with her when she is around in a group of people. He ignores her and tries to get like a big party going. And she just wants to spend some time with him and get to know him. And that is the thing that he wants the least is to have someone actually get to know him. He wants to keep up these barriers and these facades. Yeah, yeah, good point. I did feel bad for her in in that respect also. And like he talks about, well, this is why I've been doing that. But at no point does he say, I'm going to stop doing this around you or something or or I know I still need to pay attention to you. What do you need from this relationship? And I don't know if that's something he can do. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I like a little Jamaican incense every now and then, but maybe he needs to to lay off and deal with things because I feel like if you're high enough to want to have a whole order of falafels and a couple ice creams before you go out to dinner, (laughs) you're probably also not sober enough to address your relationship stuff. Oh God, that's gotta be the worst for him too. Like, Oh no, serious talk right now. I have had so much Jamaican incense. Yeah. I could have a serious talk like about how conceivably we could all just be living in a molecule on a fingernail of a giant, but feelings? No, thank you. You brought them up earlier. Let's talk Patsy and Damon. (sighs) Deep breath. Okay. Yeah. I am so fucking mad at Damon. It's he's I'm, I'm standing over there beside myself. <laughs> I'm seeing two of Corey right now on my video screen. So that's how mad I am. He is such a fucking jerk. He does the very classic and incredibly frustrating move of what are we going to do about my feelings? I'm a white man with feelings and that's everybody's problem. And then when he doesn't get the validation he wants the way he reacts is so scary yeah he violently shoves her down and then flies off and it's everything about the way that he is acting throughout this sequence is what a creepy fucking stalker would do and that is how he is acting he's like you provoked this these feelings in me therefore you owe me a relationship yeah i know I love you, and what are you going to do about that? Like, look, lady, I cried and everything, okay? So get in my bed. <laughs> yeah. It's so creepy. It really is. And it sucks. I, I like Damon Hellstrom, or I want to, but this kind of behavior is super fucked up, and I'm not sure to what extent the comic book is treating it like it's fucked up. I mean, it's not portraying it like it's ideal, but I don't think it's supposed to be a deal breaker for us with this character. It's supposed to be like, well, he had his feelings hurt and he was trying to be vulnerable, but like he makes Patsy apologize to him. She says, now what is wrong with you, Damon? I'm not some puppet you can just pick up by the strings and do with as you please. And he goes, but Patsy, I never meant to. That is, I only wanted a chance to. I mean, by the seven circles of hell, is it so difficult for you to understand that I wish to be alone with you? 
So he never apologizes for his behavior, but he forces her into a thing where she's like, no, Damon, it's not. And I'm sorry for pretending I didn't understand when I did. That is bullshit. She should not be the one apologizing in that situation. She was about to buy eclairs and Napoleons in a New York bakery for the both of them. And he interrupted her because he was like, no, we need to talk about my love now. Mm hmm. Do you know how good Napoleons and Eclairs can be from a New York bakery? I don't, but I'd want to. These are some fucking top drawer pastries. Even it doesn't matter. Like they could they could be like uh like the grocery store deli like day old donuts and it would still be more important to let your partner buy those instead of instead of ripping your shirt off in the middle of a store and setting your hair on fire and grabbing her by the hand and dragging her out of there like you're some kind of caveman this just was such total fucking bullshit i agree i just wanted to mention the fact that i love napoleons and so that was like uh, initially i was just like are they gonna get the napoleons and then they didn't get the napoleons and i was very upset and then I also I was upset at her his behavior in addition to that. I could see myself in that situation, like if I'm in my, my Damon Hellstrom shoes, being like, oh man, I'm, I'm feeling really sad and lonely and not heard. And oh, Napoleons? <laughs> Let's see how this plays out. <laughs> exactly. But no, and she was also telling him, inter like she's telling him about her adventure and her life and she's like i'm gonna write a book i'd reunited with my dad who i've never met before and he's like no no look uh, shut up shut up i want to talk to you because i love you and so you need to be my girlfriend right now mm -hmm. it's garbage they've never even dated before he, he has just said like hey i love you and then she tried to seduce him when she was possessed by the devil and thought she was his sister that's not a good basis for a relationship no probably not Let's move on to another couple, Namor and Valkyrie. Didn't see this one coming, I gotta say. I didn't either, and, and that was kind of one of the fun things about this comic, is there's always this subtext of romantic tension or potential tension between the characters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know there's like all kinds of fan fiction things about that and everything, so I bet there was a lot of readers of this title that were like, yes! Finally, we get to see these two hook up. And then <laughs> when Val really puts the moves on Namor, he reacts the worst possible way to express disinterest when somebody kisses you. Even if you can fly, don't scream no. Push them away and fly <laughs> off to go sit on a rock by yourself. I interpreted that as like, okay, Namor's like, you know, I do like making out, but it will never, ever, ever replace my one true love which is brooding. I love to sit on a rock and brood. It's the Namor way. Don't worry, Rock. I'm going to sit on you and brood. Th this lady, she, I, I like her, but no, no, no. Ugh. I've, I'm, I mean, I'm not an expert at these things. I have certainly created situations that were way more awkward than they needed to be. <laughs> I think I once said, no, thank you. Uh, well, at least you were polite. But I didn't fly away and go sit on a rock, so. Didn't you? No. I In the no thank you situation, are you sure you wouldn't have if you could fly? Well, once it got super awkward, yeah, I would have. 
I want to make it clear, too. The situation we're describing is not one where Val is acting in any way predatory or making unwanted advances on Namor. This is a consensual makeout that they were having, and Namor actually initiated the physical contact before changing his mind and saying no and leaving. And he's totally within his rights to do that at any point. It's just you would have hoped he would have handled it with a little more tact. I gotta say, the scene in which they decide that they're going to hook up, it is three panels that are mostly reaction shots. Namor's like, well, I've got to go back to Atlantis. And she's like, hey, you want somebody to travel with you? And then there's like a close up of his face being like, huh? And a close up of her face being like, yeah. And a close up (laughs) of his face being like, yeah. And then he's like, that sounds cool. (laughs) Yeah, that was adorable. It was really well handled. Again, I wish we had a little bit more of Valkyrie's motivation and how she feels about this encounter, which we don't get. Again, it is all about Namor's feelings, which with the beast thing, as much as I disliked it from a certain perspective, it makes a little bit of sense because he is more of a main character in this book than Vera is. But in this one, Valkyrie is much more of a member of the Defenders than Namor is, so it would seem that she is the more important character to the book. We should get more of her emotions and motivation. I guess we're just supposed to get that her motivation is, well, I mean, he's Namor. Look at his abs. Yeah. Yeah. No, you you do get the impression that she's just kind of, uh, I don't know, like looking for a, a hookup or something. Which I think is totally valid and might build into her new Valkyrie character, who is more like a, I don't know, mead quaffing good time party Asgardian, lusty in battle, lusty out of battle type of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But we don't get that, really. We are left to assume all of that, whereas every male character has their feelings explored at great length. Yeah, and they just barely kind of touch on it at the end as he's swimming away. He's like, I'm going to be alone. She's like, well, we'll see about that, mister. You know, which like is I, I kind of liked that. Way I did that too. it came out like real confident, like you can't stay away from this. And then there is that little exposition box where they say, you know, her words ring with confidence and certainty, but they mask self-doubt and a confusion that even a goddess, like a literal goddess, doesn't always <laughs> have the answers. Although those captions are all supplied by Overmindy, I believe they are the person that is narrating all of these. So whenever you get a caption box that is Overmindy talking to Steve, I think, I don't know, it could also be part of like Overmindy's attempt to like seduce Steve. She's like, but, you know, she's not that great. Mm. I don't know. Just putting that out there. The other big development we get in that story is with Aragorn. We haven't seen Aragorn for a while, but it turns out he's probably just been hanging out the whole time. We learn that Steve has helped hook Val up with invisibility cloaks and shielding for Aragorn that turn him invisible and protect him all the time. And just when she says to me, Aragorn, then he becomes visible, but he's just kind of hanging out all the time. Mm -hmm. That's convenient. It is. Do you think that his poops are invisible? I mean, that'd be so weird. It's like if you step in something like a big horse poop, but then... Well, step in it if you're lucky, Corey. He's a flying horse. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh my god. Should have seen the size of that bird. I guess I've got some really good luck coming my way. Oh. Well, Corey, there's a lot more to talk about in this issue, but I think most of it's probably going to come up for me in the minutia. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we move in that direction? Just how weird the end was. I mean, I know we talked about the platonic fireworks already, not <laughs> uh-huh. being a very common thing, but I don't know. I mean, did that seem abrupt or strange to you also? Like the writers were just like, oh, shit, we got to put a bookend on this thing. Um, Steve loves love and makes a firework. <laughs> OK, done. It did. It, it did seem abrupt. I think it might have felt less that way if you had bought this when it came out, because the cover date to this is February, but I suspect it was probably actually released a few months earlier because that's usually the way that works. So this would have been just before New Year's Eve. And so I think we're supposed to get like this is a New Year's Eve story, kind of oh. like the issue we covered a little while ago where they open the door and it's Christmas outside. And it's like, wait, where the fuck did that come from? Right. I think if you had bought that in December, you would have been like, oh, OK, it's Christmas. I get it. Okay, that makes sense. So I think that might be the tie in there. But yeah, it did come up as kind of abrupt. And yeah, we could talk more about the end of the issue in one of the minutia categories, too. Cool. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? Want to talk about the artwork? Let's do. As we both mentioned, artwork very inconsistent in this issue as a result of the diverse hands inking crew that put it together. But some of it was real, real good. In this comic, what was your favorite panel? I had two choices. The first one is on page two, and it's I I forgot the name of the artist, but the, the guy you mentioned. Mike Mignola, he's probably best known for being the creator of Hellboy, and he's got a really distinct style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a panel on page two that I called Sad Red Steve, and mm. uh, he's standing in front of his brazier, and it's supposed to all be shadowy, but perspective's really interesting. You're kind of like looking up at him from the ground and over Mindy's looming behind him, and he just looks so forlorn and... It's very good. I actually had the panel right before that, which is a close up of over Mindy. And it is just so distinctly Mike Mignola style that I just really appreciated it. And like I said, it's weird. I, this is, I believe, his first published work, even though it was uncredited. I found an interview where he said that it was his first published comic work. And it's just real good. My other choices were on page 19. I think you mentioned the silhouette where they're in standing in front of the cool window in the Sanctum Sanctimonious. It's a silhouette of Overmindy, and uh, Steve is standing next to them. And it's just really, it's a cool layout. I like the silhouette look of it. It's really interesting graphic design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a good one. My other choice was page nine, and I called it Beast Kiss Colors. And Mm. it's the two panels where Vera's first holding beast's face and then second they're kissing and the background is a solid red in the face holding and solid orange in the kissing i know the panel you're talking about there are some really interesting choices that are made with the backgrounds in this one of my favorites is actually from the 
I believe it is the WandaVision kiss. One of those panels. Yeah, that that I know exactly what you're talking about. That totally reminded me of WandaVision. Yeah, it's like a fuzzed outlook, but it, it is all of these tiny, different shaped circles. It reminds me of the kind of thing you would do with a ballpoint pen in a notebook if you were super bored in class. You know what I mean? I think you mean focusing in class. Yeah, that is what I mean. But yeah, it is the entire background is filled with tiny hand-drawn circles, really tiny ones. It's like they are standing in front of a wall made of pebble ice. It's just really cool looking. My other favorite panel, it's a scene that I really don't like, but I think it is drawn really, really beautifully. It is on page 15, and I call it Gothic Hero Damon. It is the panel right after you see the tears streaming out of his eyes where he's talking about how important his love is and what are you going to do about it? He's being a dick, but he looks real dreamy. It is drawn like a romance comic or, like I said, like a gothic romance character because there is dark, stormy skies behind him and it's a low angle shot and he looks very... Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights, uh, which yep. makes sense because he's being a dick. Red hair billowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. I noted that one, too. Let's do what I think will be a pretty quick category next, because I could only find the one. What was your favorite sound effect? You and me both. Shoom! Shoom! Which really seemed like it should have been shroom (laughs) (laughs) yep yeah that's the only sound effect in the book so therefore it was my favorite same here Corey, i got a question for you all right behold or be gone having an invisible pet aragorn has a cloak of invisibility shields of the seraphim he gets to hang out whenever you want he can be there whenever you just have to call him you want an invisible pet but whenever you call them they can become visible right yes any kind of animal or it has to be a horse doesn't have to be a horse horses are scary i get that okay i'm, I'm in I'm, I'm all in what kind of pet i just probably go for a dog i thought about that and there there are parts of it that i find really appealing especially if the poop just disappears <laughs> oh can you imagine the, the poop is just shielded and invisible forever Incredibly difficult to house train your dog if that's the case, I would imagine. Uh, I don't know if the smell is going to be invisible. You just have, you have to leave them on when they're in the house. I guess that makes sense. I also couldn't help but think how scary it must be for them. That, like, they can't interact with you at all. It's all on your terms. It seems kind of unfair. I didn't think about it like that. So, like, when they're invisible, they can't, like, come up and nuzzle your knee or whatever and get head scratches? I wouldn't think so. Well, they're invisible. They're not like... um... Yeah, they're not intangible. I don't know what is going on with Aragorn, because it seems like having an invisible horse, even a flying one that would follow you into buildings and stuff would be pretty disruptive. But I think regardless, if they can't see themselves too, I think Finley would just freak the fuck out. I mean, I guess it would be good to have it as a possibility, but... Think of all the places you could bring Finley if he... Well, you'd have to get a mute. He gets so anxious. Like, mute him and invisible him. Yeah, I don't think it would be fair to him. So I'm going to give it a be gone, I guess. Oh, no, I I love this idea as long as the dog doesn't freak out. And you know what? Good news. Dog freaks out. Just leave him visible. I guess that would be the upside. 
I don't know. I feel like I would fuck up. Uh, and lose him, you know? Best case, you're keeping him on a leash, and then you just look like one of those assholes with <laughs> those fake invisible dog leashes. <laughs> I saw a bunch of the Invisible Man movies from the 30s and 40s, and uh, I think it's by the second one they had an invisible dog that they were walking on one of those. Mm. It's like, man, imagine a time when a special effects for a big budget movie could be a trip to the Spencer's Gifts in the mall. Right. It didn't work as well in the next Invisible Man movie when they just had a bunch of lava lamps and uh, T-shirts with pictures of breasts on them. So I I also had a Beholder be gone. Okay, what you got? All right. So uh, Behold or Be Gone, understanding everything that you need to know to be successful in your romantic relationships. but. The way that you have to understand this is by being privy to the private conversations of everybody who you care about's relationship. No, no, this is another one of those telepathy things. I, I don't want it. Oh, yeah, this is a hard be gone for me. Too. Yeah, like, I'll, yeah, I'll take the fighting and the breakups over seeing that. But. Yeah, I don't want to spy on my friends. I don't want to know what they're saying. Nope. Nope. I mean, on one hand, it would be nice to know what to do all the time, but it's not worth it. Corey, I don't want to know what I'm feeling, let alone what somebody else is feeling. Mm. No, thank you. Yeah, no, I just want to go get falafels and ice cream before dinner. Every issue of a Defender's comic book has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, who did you have as the best, and who did you have as the worst? For best, I had Patsy for basically standing up for herself and telling Damon to stop being such an asshole. And for worst, I had Damon for being such an asshole. I also had Damon for all of the reasons that we have discussed. Yeah, he was definitely an asshole. I also, on my short list, though, for backups, I did have Gargoyle for the... I bet you used to be real good looking. <laughs> I had Steven Overmindy in my backup, too, for all the spying and Steve being like, this is uncomfortable. And Overmindy's like, just one more. And he's like, OK, fine. I had Overmindy as my other backup for that very reason. Like, this is not cool what they are doing. For my best defender, I had Steve as a backup for, I think, out of character for him, offering at least the token resistance that we shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could put a stop to it anytime he wanted to, and he didn't. But uh, yeah, Overmindy seems to have some pretty big issues surrounding privacy, not just with spying on everyone all the time, but also with I was in the other room and I could sense that you were sad and watching flame ghosts fuck. So I thought I'd pop by. Yeah, it's a little invasive. Yeah, you don't come into somebody's room when they've got the flame ghosts on. Yeah. I mean, I don't even feel comfortable knocking on somebody's door when it's closed. I'm like, I don't know what they're doing. I bet Steve has like a magical sock he puts over the doorknob when he's up to that shit. But Overman, he didn't even look for that. So, yeah, Overmindy was on my short list for worst. Steve, as I said, offered some token resistance. I ultimately went with Val. She was just uh, a lot of fun in this issue. Saw something that she wanted, went after it, didn't work out, took it well. Mm -hmm. Good job, Val. I also like that she changed into a nice 
swimming negligee. Yep. Good for her. Let her hair down. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Val's outfit change. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue did you most want to discuss? I thought that Vera's outfit, we were introduced to it on page two, reminded me of like a 90s librarian. Mm, I can see that. I think she is a librarian, too. Okay, so yeah, the glasses are pretty on brand for that, but uh, she's got a striped shirt that, I don't know, for some reason kind of reminded me of uh, Grandjira get-ups. Yeah, I can totally see that. I feel like Kurt Cobain maybe wore a sweater like that at one point. It's yellow and orange stripes. She's wearing a purple blazer over it and a skirt. It's a good look for her. Yeah. The first fashion choice that struck me was honestly on the cover, and I think it's an inadvertent thing. But uh, Namor looks like he's wearing corduroys, which has to be the worst thing you could possibly swim in. Oh, yeah. I think it's a shading thing, but it really does just look like he's still wearing his Speedo trunks with the scales all over them. But yeah, swimming in corduroys. No, thanks. You want to be swimming in a negligee. That's what you should wear in the water. And yeah, as I said, I liked Val's outfit. I liked that she changed into it and took her hair down, goes for a swim, jumping off a horse, having a good time. On uh, page 12, before Damon starts being a total fucking jerk. He and Patsy, when they're in their normal folks about town duds, make a pretty sharp looking couple. Yeah, he's got on what I think of as like a 70s Leonard Nimoy look. (laughs) Yeah, turtleneck and blazer matching set. You can see him doing like a reading of some of his poetry wearing that. Or like when he was a guest character on TJ Hooker. I think he might have dressed like that when he was a guest on Columbo, too. Maybe he just had the one. It's possible. Maybe that was in his, like, uh, offer sheet. He's like, we'll bring own turtleneck. (laughs) But yes, they make a very handsome couple. I also liked on page five, the cabbie, as Patsy is getting out of the cab. He's wearing a green plaid shirt over a yellow sweater with a tan jacket over that and a flat cap. It is a, uh, a nice layered look for that cabbie, and I liked it. Yeah, pretty good. I think it's time we had ourselves a Battle of the Band Names. <laughs> in this issue, what band names were you able to find in the text? I have a radio-friendly but also good band. I don't know. I think they, they probably sound like Band of Horses. Hmm. You know that song, The Funeral? Yeah. That's uh, what I thought of with these guys. They're called the Agonies of Love. Ooh, the Agonies of Love is good. Uh-huh. That's a versatile band name. I, I can see that also being like a, <laughs> I don't know, like a, um, I, I started to say it like it was a thing we would all know, but I started to say it. Hey, like a, a goth marching band. One of those, you know, like a Greek chorus soul bands. <laughs> yeah, one of those. But uh, I think that's a very good name. My first option is a uh, Puerile Games. Oh. I see them as being kind of a snotty punk band. Mm. Okay. We've had one of those recently, but Puerile Games, like, I don't know. They just sound snotty, like art school punks. Uh. 
Yeah, I don't like them, but I do think it's an okay name. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty good. Another group that I think I would like better is, you know how there's a lot of like horror punk as a subgenre? Uh-huh. Well, this is just laid back horror stoner music. Uh-huh. And it's called Chiller Theater. <laughs> laid back horror stoner music. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know what's funny is because I have one of those too, and I, I think they've toured with Chiller Theater, and um, these guys are a little more on the goth side of it, but they're called the Gargoyles Tears. Ooh. Gargoyles Tears are good. Man, these are some good bands, Corey. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go see Purell games. Yeah. But I would I would love to see a double feature of Chiller Theater and Gargoyles Tears. Absolutely. I also had uh, the Temporal Ethers. That's like, it's definitely trippy. They're not as smart as they think they are. <laughs> That's how I would describe their genre of music. Mm-hmm. It's not bad, but it, it's a little bit pretentious. Mm-hmm. It takes itself very seriously and not very bright. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is they're, they're kind of like the doors. <laughs> Did I send you that thing about um, somebody took excerpts from Jimi Hendrix's writings or pe- things people had written about him about the times a drunk Jim Morrison tried to get on stage with him? And he was like, no, man, go away. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to check that out. Pretty good. Do you have any other band names? No, I just had the two. Well, of our options, Puerile Games, Gargoyles Tears, Chiller Theater, the temporal ethers and the agonies of love. What do you think is the best band name? Between all of those, I'm torn between Chiller Theater because <laughs> it just sounds funny to me, and uh, the agonies of love because it sounds. Those like are the two that I'm kind of down to too. I, I like both of those a lot. I think agonies of love might be my favorite. I think that might be the only. I feel like you need a lot of syllables to combat. Um, what I'm sure will be the winner, which is the drag queen glam rock. All right, let's go with the agonies of love. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie, if that pie were not made out of steel? Speaking of pies, I ate last night. I found in the freezer a piece of that maple uh, apple butter pie that you had made. Yeah. And I ate it, and it was fucking delicious. Oh, thanks. Thank you. The trick was, I didn't make it out of steel. Good to know. That's a little baker's tip you guys can use. Yeah. So, for a pie like that, we touched on it already. These words are from Beast on page 7, where uh, some fans show up when he's in the middle of having a heavy conversation with Vera. And he says, Hark! My star-eyed public calls! And my star Ving, with a dash, ego, rises in response. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's Beast. I think that's pretty good. It's got to be incredibly frustrating to hear that if you're Vera, but uh, pretty clever. Oh, yeah. No, I I felt pretty bad for her in the whole exchange that they had, but it, it did make me chuckle that that was the way he responded. I think my favorite words are at the very end. It is something that Beast says and then 
Steve's response to it and then the issue's response to that. Steve and Mindy show up in their fireworks of platonic friendship, as you call it. And B says, not to denigrate your aesthetically overwhelming telismatical exhibition, Doc, but what the heck was that all about? And Steve just says, love. And then the caption at the end says, although their minds do not understand, their hearts do. So I like that as a cop out at the end to just be like, I know this might not have all made sense, but eh, it's a vibe. Yeah, I know. It's, it's pretty much along with all the readers, <laughs> their minds do not understand. Also, I love the excuse for why did you do that? Just the one word just being like, love. I think that's a pretty good all purpose excuse. And also, I mean, if you've been hanging out with Steve for a while and he says that, it's going to be so fucking weird that you're just like, okay. (laughs) No follow-up questions. You got it, buddy. (laughs) All right. So I really enjoyed that. I also very much enjoyed on page 10, Namor and Val are having a nice time flying on their horse, and then he jumps into the water and is saying like, this is great. Her response is she stands on Aragorn and is riding him like a surfboard and says, Hold, Namor, dost thou think to leap away from me as some playful fish? Let me divest myself of this cumbersome garb, loose my hair, lay down my sword, and thou shalt learn Brunhilde is fine company above the waves or below. Yeah, pretty good. I love that, man. That is fun as hell. Well, Corey, we are informed early on in this issue that the Silver Surfer and Hulk just kind of fucked off at the beginning. But we still both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what are the Hulk's rules? He had a a couple takeaways. I feel like they both already come up, but the, the first one is when somebody who you're not feeling that way about expresses a romantic interest in you don't just scream no and fly away and sit on a rock i gotta say that does seem like the sort of thing the hulk would do well i know that's what that's the point he's like oh oh i'm seeing this on the outside now and yeah okay i i get it that's why they are mad <laughs> that why hulk never smash <laughs> i had the hulk's rule being Never take any romantic advice from any male member of the Defenders, because they're all super bad at this shit. Uh, We saw that borne out throughout this story in pretty much every example. They just refused to take the woman's feelings into consideration at all because it was all about them. And, uh, you know, a relationship has to be a two-way street. I think the Hulk might say, especially Damon. Especially Damon, yes. (laughs) And that's the Hulk's rules. Nice. Corey, I got just one more question I got to ask you. In the year of our Lord, 1983, and the month of our Lord, February, what Wong doings was Wong doing? Oh boy. Throughout February, Wong is filled with regret and resolving never, ever to do a nice thing for his friend Steve Strange again. (laughs) Because 
he, despite being somebody of many talents and interests, music very high among them, is not a huge fan of musical theater. Hmm. Also, really could give a shit about illusionists or magicians. You know, real magic, that shit's cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, making a Statue of Liberty disappear or whatever, big deal. But against his better judgment, when Wong saw that there was a show coming to town about Merlin, Ooh. who Steve loves, he was like, you know what? I'll, I'll get us tickets. It's, it's been a long time since we've gone out and done something fun. And so when the show Merlin opened on February 13th on Broadway at the uh, Mark Hellinger Theater, directed by Ivan Reitman, uh, choreographed by Christopher Chadman, Billy Wilson, had Doug Henning playing mm. Merlin. Also, a young Christian Slater made an appearance. Wow. Lisa would be terrified. She is scared of Christian Slater. Well, I know. <laughs> sorry, that wasn't a very good I'm sorry, Christian is Christian Slater. Slater here right now? Was that okay? It, it came through. <laughs> uh, Steve was so enamored with this take on Arthurian lore that he went to all 199 showings of Merlin <laughs> and would not stop singing the songs. And Wong was just like, I am going to fucking kill him. So that's one of the things that Wong was up to. Like, Why did I take him to the stupid musical? That's what he gets for trying to be a good friend to Steve. Yeah. Now, that's not the only adverse effect that uh, Steve had on Wong this month, unfortunately. Mm. You see, Steve also, as was evinced in this issue, was put in the mood for love. And with February being the month for Valentine's Day, Steve wanted to uh, try to set things up so that he could have uh, maybe a little date with Overmindy. And he decided to put Wong to work trying to uh, get things ready. So a couple days before Valentine's Day, the week before, actually, he had Wong go out running all around town, getting things to cook, an elaborate meal and flowers and stuff. And it's cold in New York in February. The reason he had Wong going out so early was because there was a huge snowstorm coming on February 11th. Just uh, everything was blanketed with snow. So he had Wong going out a few days before that, getting supplies. And uh, Wong ended up getting a pretty bad cold running around the city like that. And so uh, Steve, to his credit, did feel bad about that and was like, well, Wong, I, I suppose I'll finish up the shopping for you. Well, was there anything on the list you didn't get a chance to get yet? And Wong said, uh, uh, sh sh sugar, sh sugar. And Steve was like, sugar? Well, all right, if that's what you want, I'll make sure that we have that. So he set a, set a spell, and uh, the racehorse Sherger was suddenly <laughs> hanging out in the Sanctum Sanctimonious. This caused a lot of problems. <laughs> Sherger had recently been kidnapped and held for ransom, and then just disappeared. And uh, Wong's like, uh, I said sugar. And he's like, oh, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll just... Uh, return this horse to its owners. Surely they will be happy to see him again. So Steve went to Ireland and uh, tried to return Sugar to the horse's owners, but they had already collected 10 million in insurance for the horse. And so they're like, no, we, we, we don't want the horse back anymore. And so Steve goes back to the sanctum and it's like, well, what do I do with this horse? Hey, 
Hmm. I know. Nobody deserves to be alone, especially near Valentine's Day. So he made Shurger invisible so that both Aragorn and Shurger would have a companion. And they ended up palling around together. And uh, he forgot how to turn Shurger visible again. So he can only hang out with Aragorn when Aragorn is invisible. But I think it's nice for both of them to have some companionship. Wow. And that is the Wong doings that Wong was doing in February of 1983. Oh, and then uh, later in the month, he and Steve watched the last episode of MASH together. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it made them sad. Oh. Well, that's what they were up to. Nice. Well, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad you were able to muddle through the tail end of your illness and join us today. Thank you. Had a nice time talking about this comic with you. Likewise. You know why we recorded this episode, Corey? Because although our hearts do not understand... No, wait. Although our minds don't understand, our hearts do? Love. Yes. And we'd love to hear from you, listeners. So if you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at ttwasteland at gmail.com or via our post office box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. We're also up on various other places on the internet, the Tumblr, the Twitter, the Facebook, you know, all of the garbage hellscapes of the internet. We'll be in there saying things and growing increasingly concerned about the state of the world. And hey, Mm. if you can't find us there, there's another place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Well, I'm going to take a nice long nap, get over the rest of this cold, and then uh, get to sipping some of that sipping rum and making some cocktails with that Armagnac-conditioned bourbon. Yeah, there's a cocktail recipe on here that I'm anxious to try out. So I think I'll be doing the same. Oh, nice. We'll have ourselves a, a pleasant time. Indeed. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material. There is the podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most filed, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There are also a whole bunch of video reviews of classic comics and other videos and podcasts that are up there as a thank you for the people who donate and make it possible for us to keep doing the show. So thank you guys so much for doing that. Corey, if people would like to support the show in a non-financial way, what would you suggest they do? I would suggest that they leave a review for the show wherever reviews can be left, probably the place where they got the show from in the first place, whatever your podcatcher of choice is. Preferably, the review would have five stars. Oh, yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Here, here's actually a review we got recently. Better than Pop-Tarts. Five stars. I used to eat a lot of Pop-Tarts of many flavors, but clearly the best flavor was brown sugar and cinnamon. Agree. Hmm. Once my triplets started eating them, they refused to eat the outside edges. That meant that I was stuck eating piles of crust without ever getting the delicious frosted center reward. Now I don't eat Pop-Tarts anymore. 
this podcast is my delicious frosted center. Oh, it's by Ron Payne 26. Thanks, Ron Payne 26. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for giving a good example of the type of review that somebody could leave so that I don't have to come up with one. Yeah, that was nice. That's hard. That's very nice. Is there any other way people could uh, spread the word about the show, Corey? Yeah, you can just write down what Ron Payne 26 said about the show, like on a you know those little notebooks that they sell at the drugstore. Little yeah. Flip open ones. Get like get one of those. Get a good ballpoint pen that you like. Write that mm-hmm. review down. Put that in your pocket. And then um, when you're, I don't know, you have that awkward lull in conversation at the place you're at with other people or you don't like the way the conversation's going or, you know, just don't feel like making small talk. Just pop open that neighborhood. Nope. Pop open that neighborhood? (laughs) It's the cold medicine. Just pop open open that notebook and uh, flip to the page where you wrote Ron Payne 26's review of the showdown and just read that. And then people are like, oh, that's charming. What are you talking about? And be like, oh, it's the show that I like and blah, blah, blah. Ah. And and tell them about the podcast. And then if they're like, why did you read it to us? You just say, love. And then walk away. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a mic drop. Yeah. And I mean, their minds might not understand it, but their hearts will. Yeah. Or they will after they take some cold medicine. Take some cold medicine. (laughs) Yeah. Pop open the old neighborhood. <laughs> Give it a good reading. Yeah. Well, I will talk to you soon, Corey. I hope you feel better. And until next week, love. Yes. Love. Goodbye. Bye. And they know it. If you would like to support the show, that sounded like a old front fart from a lady. <laughs> oh my god, no! That's I don't think that's no. They can't go that long. Um, no, no, it sounded like a old like Model T driving off into the distance. Oh, I can hear that. Yeah, that's kind of nice. That's much nicer than the thing I said. <laughs> Yeah.